HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show has been brought to you by Brooklyn Slate Company, manufacturer of slate cheese boards, coasters, and other fine items. Check them out at www.brooklynslate.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and I am uh, here with my friend Jordan Salcido. Uh, Jordan is the head of beverage operations for the Momofuku Group. Um, she has an incredible wine label called Bellis that we have at our various restaurants, at definitely at Delanima, uh, at Lartuzzi. I believe at La Picho as well. Um, we carry the Bellis, uh, the Tuscan, Super Tuscan. It's absolutely delicious. Um, with the proceeds, a portion of the proceeds going to the Tory Birch Foundation. Uh, Jordan is also a partner in the Charlie Bird restaurant. Uh, congratulations. And uh, involved also in the Castanova della Cherbae, kind of, has made wine uh, at the uh, Brunello Estate uh, in Montalcino. So, uh, Jordan, you have, you have your hands uh, very, very full, very busy. I'm really excited that you've uh, carved out some time to chat with us it's this morning. It's such an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, really, really great to have you. I mean, I guess first and foremost, um, congratulations on the, uh, on the new position, uh, relatively new position at, at Momofuku. Um, I mean that I, I just had a, a killer meal at, at Samba. I've been going for, for years and years. I used to live pretty much across the street and, uh, Sam and, and Noodle have, have been some of my, my favorite restaurants and I've gone less frequently, uh, but to my own shame uh less frequently to both uh ma Pesh and to uh to co um tell us a little bit about uh what you have going on what you're excited about and about this about this new position okay um it's a really really fun uh group to work with and all the restaurants are so different so they each have their own personality and that is um the aspect that's one of the aspects that's the most fun about about working there because you have these very different spaces with very different things to say um so i've been spending a lot of time on the program at Mapesh recently and we 
Actually, last night um, was sort of the inauguration of this new short rib dinner that, that is available. So we had two groups uh, come in for the short rib dinner, and it's a table-side dinner. And the main, the star of the, of the meal is these, this table-side carved short rib, but there are lots of other goodies along the way. And um, yeah, the point is that it's, it's beautiful and it's delicious, but it's also great with wine. Um, and Mapesh has an amazing, I guess it, it has an amazing cellar in terms of like the actual space is awesome. And it's such a rarity in, in New York, but also, you know, in relation to the East Village where everything is so small and compact and you're sort of finding space everywhere for everything. Um, Midtown is big and, and the space at Mapesh, it's, it's a large, beautiful open space and the cellar is the same. So we're, um, we're so it's fair to say that you can do things on a larger scale. You can have more wines there. Yes. You can have large format dinners. Exactly. It's not as cramped. Maybe a little bit easier to get a reservation. Exactly, exactly, which is really fun. So um, we're in the process of expanding the list right now. So actually, I mean, the list for the next couple of weeks is still on the, it's still very compact, um, but we're, we're expanding it. So we have a lot of fun stuff in the cellar that's not on the list yet. Um, what do we have in-house? We have, yeah, we have, I guess the other thing that we're doing in Midtown that's that doesn't really make sense at the downtown restaurants is um, really expanding the benchmark, the selection of benchmarks that we offer. Mm-hmm. So um, Bordeaux, Burgundy, I would say even more Burgundy than Bordeaux, um, just these classic regions that um, that absolutely make sense in this space in Midtown, which is, um, which is an, an area that, it, let's see, how do I say this? I guess one of the things we're trying to do with the list is make the list fit the space and fit the neighborhood um, in New York. What What is the neighborhood? I have this idea that it's that it's a lot of tourists and a lot of people who kind of work in the area. Is that is that accurate? I think it's such a mix. Mm-hmm. It really is a mix. So yes, that is accurate. There are a lot of tourists. There are a lot of people who work in the neighborhood. And then there are also people who live um, not too far. So even in sort of a little bit west, Midtown West. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot oh, of that's those... right. I guess I know a lot of people who live in that kind of northern Hell's Kitchen, mm-hmm. Midtown West area. Exactly. I didn't think about that. That is super close. And Mid- or in, uh, Mapesh is in the Chambers Hotel, so there are a lot of hotel guests who come down and, mm-hmm. and will have breakfast, lunch, and dinner there. Um, so tell us a little bit about what your job is like. How, does, how, how do you function how do you work what do you what are you doing what are your weeks like what are your days like okay so they're always different but the structure that i've sort of have in place right now um is that on mondays and fridays those are sort of the downtown days um so every morning i go to the office which is union square um south and it's great so it's not far from where i live and i can walk to work and it's beautiful and then i'm there during the day and then uh, on Mondays and Fridays, I go to Sambar and Noodle Bar, and we do pre-service there. Um, and for me, pre-service is such an important part of a restaurant, right? That's like where the inspiration and the energy for the night comes from. So on Mondays and Fridays, sort of benchmarking or I guess bookending the week, um, I, I go first to Sambar and then right immediately afterwards to Noodle Bar for pre-service, and then I go back to the office. Um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday... Um, are more about Mopesh. So mornings, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at the office, and then I just go right uptown. And, um, and then I try to be on the floor for service for those nights. 
So you have a, so you're a six day work week. It's like five. To, you know, you know how it is. You know, some days it's five, some days it's seven. It's all good. It's all good. I mean, that's just part. It's part of the restaurant totally. industry. You never, you never know what's gonna what's gonna happen. Exactly. Dude. Well, tell us also a little bit about this uh, very exciting Bellis uh, project that you guys have. I saw you uh, released a white wine from Burgundy, um, which I have not had a chance to taste oh, I yet. Have brought that and, instead of. Uh, I see you did bring a, a lovely wine, which I'm excited to taste. Uh, but uh, I am quite familiar with, with your red, which we've had, um, I guess, in two vintages now. And thank you so much for being an amazing supporter of Bellis. Yeah, it's it's our honor. It's nice uh, to have something that is uh, delicious to support uh, someone who I really like in the industry, but also support a really good um, uh, a really good cause. So tell us about tell us about how that project came about, how you and the Tory Birch Foundation came together. I wish there were more wines that that kind of partnered. It seems to make a lot of sense. Um, please. Uh, well, um, okay. How did this start? So the white wine was actually a wine. All right, so it's a wine um, made from Burgundy, like you were saying, and I make it with Alixe de Monti, and she has been a friend and a mentor since I was back in the kitchen, like back in the, I met her right after. Yeah, I forgot to mention, you've been to like every winery that I want to go to in the world, <laughs> pretty much, so <laughs> I'm going to be picking your brain about, about what it's like to visit Chav and Salos and all these great guys you've been to. It's, you know, I think that's, it. that's, for me, it's so helpful when you're on the floor and then, you know, somebody's saying, yeah, I, I, you're the same way. You know, it's good to have a reference point. So I feel really lucky that I've been able to um, to visit those places. But uh, with with Alix, she gave me. All right. So Alix, just to rewind a little bit. Um, she also started in the kitchen. So she had worked at um, Pierre Garnier and, a, and a, a few other great restaurants. And um, and then she got back into winemaking. And her family has been making wine since before the French Revolution. But they always made red wine. Um, and her palate, she loves acidity. She loves purity. She loves focus. And um, Jean-Marc Rouleau, who is her husband, um, really inspired her to start making white wine and really taught her a lot about, about that along the way. And then she said to me, as I was as I was out coming out of the kitchen um, and interested in going to Burgundy, she said, "Let me know if I can ever help you. Um, I feel that we have a connection, and if I can ever be of, of assistance, then let me know." And so I worked harvest with her in two thousand seven, and then uh, yeah, I've just always loved her style of wine, and then we've become close friends throughout the years, and um, and so we had the Bellis Red, the Girasole, and it was a natural. Um, I think a natural sort of friendship. It was a, a wine that was born out of friendship. Um, so we, we blend two parcels. So we blend a, a parcel of wine from Pouligny Morger and one from Merceau. We just made 216 cases. And um, it's called Les Roches-Sur, which means the sister rock. And actually, mm-hmm. uh, Becky Wasserman is the one who who came who helped me come up with the name she you know she said well what are you trying to get at and i said well you know terroir and you know there's the mother rock of burgundy and she said what about les rochesur instead of la rochemer and alix's nickname for me had always been ma petite sir so it is what we're little sister i love that love that so is that the key to making a good uh for a sommelier who lives in new york to make a good wine you have to have someone like alix to oversee the process, how how do you guys work together? With is there a, a series of tasting, or you're, or you're like, at least this is what I want. You're a total badass. I'm sure you can get it done. And I like to be over there for harvest. I feel like you learn about the vintage. You learn about 
um, about the wine if you're actually there for the harvest. So I think that that's one thing that is really helpful. But of, cor- of course, in our in New York, it's not always possible because you don't you can't always plan for it. Um, so up until actually, so the Bellis Rosier is the 2011 vintage, and 2011 was the first time. Uh, ever since 2006 that I had not been there for the harvest. So she and I were just on the phone like a few times a day. And uh, and then after after Crown was open, so I couldn't leave because I was opening Crown. And then after Crown was open, that's when I was able to go back for the various other um, decisions. So the fining and all of these other little decisions, those were decisions that we made together. Yeah. And you referenced about how you were previously working in the kitchen and you decided at some point to make that switch to front of house. How did that happen? That happened, okay, so that happened really at the La Polay. Uh, La Polay de Neige, which was in Aspen, it was the first year that Daniel Jonas decided to do a smaller mini La Polay in Colorado. And it was, um, so I'm from Colorado, and I was going home anyway. And uh, and I asked if if I could sort of get myself there if he wouldn't mind having um, somebody else to help along the way. And he said, sure, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. And it was being there and being surrounded by, um, by these winemakers. So that it was a small handful. I think it was, yeah, it was Christophe Rumé and Dominique Lafon and Jean-Marc Rouleau, Alix de Monti, pa- um, Jean-Pierre de Smet, and I think Pascal Marchand was the, was the final one. Um, but being there and trying these wines and getting to cook with Danielle and just seeing his eyes light up and just sort of being in this moment, which felt so surreal. Um, it was also this, this moment that made me realize that wine was so much more than a delicious substance in a glass. And I knew that anyway, but I guess it was like, it was such an emotionally compelling moment that I knew that I wanted to figure out some way to, to, live that world or to to have that world as I can't imagine how like being in Aspen with some of the greatest winemakers in the entire world drinking wine and hanging out and laughing with the mountains in the background like I can't imagine how you weren't craving to be in like the flames and heat and fluorescent lights of the kitchen at that time I was, I was also so scared because that was this <laughs> moment like what am I doing how did I get into this moment right here but this is a moment that is so amazing that I have to do everything I can. I want to replicate this. I want this to happen more <laughs> times in my life. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I've done the poly several times now, and I am still very scared every time. <laughs> well, and that was the poly where, like, you know, I was cooking, um, what was it, chicken oysters? That was, so I was not, I didn't have to do any wine service. That was way too foreign, but this was just Danielle. And then um, the chef de cuisine at DB Bistro Modern at the time was Olivier. And he was from um, Alsace, and so he would make these tart flambés, but he also had this amazing frog's leg and chicken oyster recipe. So, like, the only part of the chicken we used for this entire weekend was the chicken oyster. So, what well, they do the rest of the chicken? I'm sure that, I'm sure they found a good use for that. Okay, I'm sure they did. <laughs> Tell us about the chicken oyster. I love chicken oysters. Oh, I love the chicken oyster. Okay, so the chicken oyster is this little tiny morsel of of dark meat that sort of nests below or behind. Like if you're carving a chicken, it's sort of underneath the like the, the thigh. Yeah. But it's hard to find. I didn't know it existed until I was... That would be good. Yes. It's like if chicken had a foie gras, that would be it. You can usually get it at at yakitori restaurants. Oh, yum. And so delicious. Yakitori Toto, uh, close to you, 
If you haven't been yet, I've never been. You must, you must go. Okay. It is absolutely delicious, and uh, usually yakitori restaurants are are predominantly chicken, um, and they they do very small cuts of various different chicken parts, mm. um, chicken oyster being most of them. But yakitori toto has a little bit more of a varied selection as well. Um, but that is one of my absolute favorite things uh, to get there. Um, okay, so we're going to take just a quick break, um, or we'll be back, and we're going to be talking with uh, Jordan Salcido, the beverage operations director, manager of the Momofuku Group, and uh, my really good friend. So uh, we'll be back after a short break. Brooklyn Slate Company is a collaborative effort from Brooklyn graphic designer Sean Tice and Parsons graduate student Christy Hedeka. After visiting Christie's family slate quarry in upstate New York in the spring of 2009, the two grabbed a few pieces for use as all-purpose boards back home in Brooklyn. They found a number of purposes for the slate and began gifting pieces to friends. The response was so overwhelmingly positive that the two struck out to produce a line of slate products. They now make regular trips to the family quarry in upstate New York to hand-pick their favorite pieces of black and red slate. Some of the slate is sourced from the Quarry Graveyard, a collection of odd-shaped pieces that were ultimately destined to be ground for use as road cover or baseball diamonds. They then transport the pieces to their studio in Red Hook, Brooklyn, where they do additional cutting and clean the stone to be food slate. Every single piece of packaging that comes with their products, from the envelope to the burlap bag, can be repurposed for other uses. The end result is a product completely unique in cut, shape, color, and overall presentation. For more information and to order, visit brooklynslate.com. We're back on In the Drink on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm here with Jordan Salcido, the uh, beverage director for the Momofuku Group, and uh, my good friend, one of the nicest people in the industry, by the way. I've never heard Jordan say anything uh, less than nice about anyone or any place or anything in the world. Do you have a mean bone in your body? Can you can you bring it? Can you say that? Oh, my meal at that place was mediocre. Like, are you able to do that? You're like the nicest person I've ever met. Joe, you are the sweetest person that I've ever met. So <laughs> I feel like I don't know. I'm inspired by your. You you really are. I I could say exactly the same thing about you. So thank you so much. <laughs> That's an amazing compliment. Thank you, Jordan. I want to ask you. I've been. Uh, yeah, I'm also. Uh, uh, I consider myself to be friends with your husband as well, uh, Robert Bohr, who um, is a, a, a force in the industry. He is. He is. <laughs> um, he has his hands in lots and lots of things. Um, but I guess I deal with him mostly also on a professional level with uh, Grand Cru um, imports. We buy lots of wine from Grand Cru, including Bellis, but our Pepe, uh, some Giacomo Conterno wines, all sorts of really amazing wines. And if I had the ability to buy a very nice Burgundy, I would be doing that as well. Um, but what is it like to be in a house with two wine professionals? You know, I think it, there are, there are, it's mostly awesome. I think the thing that's really great is that we both share the same passion. So um, and also, we, we're both coming at it from different viewpoints. Robert was for sure the earliest mentor that I had in the wine world. I mean, I met him really early on. And then um, and, and then when we were dating, I got to drink all these crazy wines because he was at crew at the time. And, um, and so that part is amazing. And then I think, and then I sort of bring a different perspective. So the two of us together, I think, have a, a much better, 
better view of wine or at least a more complete view of a, of a lot of wines than we would otherwise. Um, but yeah, no, I think we also have slightly different palettes. Like he, he would never say he, he doesn't, he, he doesn't love Riesling and I don't understand how somebody couldn't love Riesling as much as I do. And he likes a lot of these herbaceous Italian white wines that I don't, that don't compel me as much. And so I think it's great from that standpoint too, because it's not like, I mean, I, I think that I, I, I know my own palate now and he knows his own palate. And so I think it's, it's just, it reaffirms that there isn't good wine or bad wine and that you've arrived when you recognize that this wine is a delicious wine. No, that's always a subjective thing. So I think we learn a lot from each other. Would you say that the, the reasoning thing is the thing that you guys disagree on the very most when it comes to your wine preferences? It's so funny. We, I might have said Corsican wines last year, but if you go to the list at Charlie Bird, it's full of Corsican wines. I was giving him a hard time about it last night because he used to give me a hard time about Corsican wines. Like, Corsica. And of course, he loves Corsican wines. Now he loves Well, how could you not love Abatucci's wines? I know. And they have an amazing selection of Abatucci at Charlie Bird. And Antoine Arena and a lot of good stuff. Okay, I need to. I definitely need to explore the rest of Corsica. I know a couple of producers, and we sometimes we have them at uh, at Anfora. Mm. Um, but I find the best that I've had are these Abatucci wines, and I and if there could be wine that's that good, then you know that there are other people who have to be doing interesting things as well. So this is completely off topic, but yeah. you were just talking about Anfora, and I had an amazing meal at La Piccio the other night. And I just want to say thank you because your lists are always, they always push boundaries in a way that's welcoming um, and friendly. And I think that that's awesome. So thank you for that. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, like one of the most exciting things about, about wine and one of the reasons I love tasting wine with you is that I know you share this is the the discovery aspect. I've seen your eyes light up many many times when discovering some uh, either whether it's a new wine or a new fact about wine or even hearing someone else's opinion that you didn't think of something in in that kind of way. You have that uh, you get extremely excited to hear about uh, about about something new, a new perspective in wine, and so for me. Wine, the the discovery aspect is kind of the most exciting thing, and that's why I try to push those boundaries a little bit. Try to introduce people to something that is that is new that maybe they haven't had before, or look at wine in a way that they haven't uh, thought of. A hundred percent, because we are part of their journey, or or in the same way that we that we get to go on these journeys when we learn new things about wine or new wines. Exactly, I couldn't agree more. Speaking of journeys, what a great segue. You've recently been to France and you brought back a lovely bottle of wine for us to taste. I did. All right. So I, I get to go to France um, a, at least a couple times a year, which is which is awesome. And um, this was the first time that I went and I rented a car by myself for a few days and I just drove around to visit regions and producers that I hadn't been to before. And so um, one of my dreams was to go visit uh, Domaine Pierre Gonon. And actually, that was the first visit. That was my very first visit this trip. And um, and so I tasted with Jean Gonon. And it's two brothers, Pierre and Jean. And I've never met Pierre, but Jean, is, you would love him, and he would love you. He is the like the happiest person. I my flight was five hours delayed. I was so I get in and I I call him or I send him a note, thinking probably he's not going to be checking email, but certainly if he does, he's going to cancel this appointment because. Who wants to wait around for somebody he's never met? 
anyway, but he wrote right back. He said, don't worry, take your time. And and I got there and, uh, and the seller is, so he's in the town of Mauve, a little tiny village in San Joseph, which is one of the original six villages from uh, that were classified as San, San Joseph before uh, before the Appalachian grew and before the government mandated that the Appalachian grow. And um, and he makes a few different wines. Um, the one that we're drinking now is his white wine, Les Oliviers. So he makes mm. two white wines. One is Old Vine Chasselas, which is beautiful. And then this one is um, it's so it's a grown on a steep parcel but where the the gravel or the soil is is quite complex so it's decomposing granite and it's also uh los and argile calcare um and one of the things that impressed me most was just how mineral these wines are and how and how he's able to translate this perception of brightness in a wine um made from grapes that that aren't really about acidity so this is 60 percent marsan 40 percent roussan um and yeah they normally you'd expect a, a Rhone Valley white wine to certainly be a little bit more plump and and round and alcoholic um and not have this kind of like definition and clarity and this is just it's so so pretty um also I'm impressed by uh Jordan take you take amazing notes uh, we've we've done tasting groups together uh, I've seen you at tastings before always the student always taking incredible incredible notes um, and so that I think, I think, I feel like that's very impressive because there's no way, like I would, I would go and visit the estate and I would, I'd stop at the point where he was a really great guy. You'd really like him and they make really good wine, you know? <laughs> I think it's cause I can't trust my memory anymore. I'm getting very old, Joe. So I have to rely on facts that I actually write down <laughs> that I can, that I can trust later on. And it, and it serves you well because yeah, I mean, you're able to, after you've written down those facts, you're able to, I guess, store them a lot better than me. <laughs> no, I, I, I think for me, I just I know that I would I would get them wrong, and so it's just or or just that repetition. And I think I don't know. Maybe it's because I it's probably started with like I don't know I my writing background. I don't know. I think I just remember things better if I write them down. Well, tell us about your writing background. I didn't know I didn't know that about you. Oh, that was what I thought I wanted to do in life was write. And so I um, I still write sometimes. But no, I got into culinary school because I was writing for a newspaper in Colorado um, and a magazine in Colorado. And then I thought that if I wanted to be a serious writer about food, then I should really understand food. And so I should go to culinary school and I should cook at a, a French restaurant that really was all about food. And um, and then it was during that time that I was sort of, you know, you get to spend time and like see Danielle Boulou all day long, just you know, so dynamic and so generous with his time and with his spirit. And the more that I spent time in the industry, the more I was like, wait a minute, I don't want to leave this. This is amazing. This is, this is... I can't do this later on and maybe there there might be hopefully sometime where I might be able to um to write later on but there was actually there was a, a small moment and it was um well no I won't go into that but yeah no <laughs> there I, you know you sometimes have these little signs from the universe and I had a couple of those and uh mm-hmm. they, and they said hey stick with this for now this is a good thing yeah and th- there was something else that, that you touched on that I feel very strongly about is that if you are going to convey a fact to a guest or to your staff, it better be a truthful, yes. better be the right fact. Yes. And so whether it's that your memory doesn't serve you right or you didn't you know the, the right thing, I do think that we have a, a responsibility 
at least to make sure that what we're saying is is accurate and by taking those good notes by visiting the estates a lot of times you can't trust what you see i mean i can't tell you how many times i've seen some information online and then visit the estate like but on the website it said this for so long you don't do it like that that's not how it happens like we outsource that to our intern (laughs) that's not how that happens oh yes no i i agree with that i mean i think that is part of our job that our job is to is to bring to light in the most honest way um the experience of of yeah, the experience and the information surrounding um, the wine that we're serving to our guests. Now, I just want a little bit more wine winery visit porn. Just tell me, like, what are some of your best <laughs> oh, visits? My oh, wow. Okay. Let's, all right. So, oh, one that's so obvious is Comte Ligier Belair yes. in Von Romanet. He is a riot. He is just hilarious, and he I love his wines. I'm obsessed with them. Pink pants, he always wears. Pink pants, yes. totally. So I w- got to work harvest with him in 2010, um, and he does this brilliant thing. He hires, first of all, his entire family and extended family and his wife's family. They all come down from all over. Um, his wife's family is in the Loire, so they all come down, and then he hires 80 pickers. So basically, they just get the job done in a weekend. It's the most impressive thing. And he comes from this lineage of um, of soldiers. So there were soldiers of, like, his great-grandfather or great-great-great-grandfather was in... Um, the Napoleon's army and then the soldier of like his father was in you know, part of the court of like Louis the 16th, I guess. Anyway. Um, the one was uh, an ancient Roman warrior and then the Etruscan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So his nickname is the general, but he's, he's just amazing and I love his wines and I love the way he talks about wine, but he also has these hysterical analogies. So when he's talking to people about Burgundy and trying to explain like the slopes of Burgundy, he, he compares it to a sandwich so he says, like, you know, because, like, the slope of Burgundy is sort of like, it's like, like, you know, it's all one slope, basically, that runs north to south, generally speaking. And uh, and he says, okay, the reason why the Grand Cru's are all in the middle is because that's the perfect, you know, the combination of of soil, of the clay, of the, uh, the calcareous clay, and also the limestone. So that's in the middle, that's like your meat. And then the Premier Cru are just above and below that. That's where there's either like a little too much soil or a little too much clay. And those are the cheese slices. And then the village is up at the top or down at the very bottom. And that's the bread. So that's one of my favorite Liger, Louis-Michel Liger <laughs> Belair analogies. That's great. Solos was an amazing visit. I visited... Um, this one isn't so... Maybe this one's just exciting to me because I'd never been to the Savoie, but I went to go visit Patrick Botex. Um, I love that Bougie Sardon. I've tasted them all, and I, that's the one I like the best. And uh, and I went to visit, and he was so surprised because I guess nobody ever goes to visit him because it's too far away, and it's not that far away. But he had this tart uh, au praline, and like he brought his wife down and his little son. and <laughs> I was like the the spectacle because I had come to visit from New York and he lives in a town that used to have a thousand mm-hmm. people and now it has 30 people and there's a village oven and it's just beautiful. So what advice do you give to your guests who maybe aren't in the industry and want to go do one of these visits? I'm sure you know, we're, you're a client, you buy these wines, you know a lot of these people for years, but if you're someone, someone is a guest. Yes. Okay. So I, I guess like with anything, I try to tailor the experience. So if it's somebody who's a guest and they're just getting into wine or they're going to Burgundy, but with their whole family or whatever, then I always recommend going actually to see one of the larger producers, one of the larger negociants like Domaine Duran or Louis Jadot or even Bouchard. 
not, well, more Jadot and Drun, but you know, you go and that's where you have this amazing snapshot of the entire, of the entire coat. Um, and I think that that's really helpful. And then, you know, if maybe it's somebody who's been collecting wine for a long time, and if I can help with uh, like a producer that they've never been able to to visit, then I that's such a joy to be able to help them in that way. And I think, you know, it, it just you want to tailor it depending on on uh, on the experience of that would best serve that person. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, and I think that. Um it makes sense to befriend your sommelier as well. Go back, visit a few times. If there is a place that you really like the wine list, make, make friends with the person who's putting together that list. And then when you do go, like I feel if one of our guests is going to visit a wine region and they're they're a good loyal guest, I want to. I'm going to get in touch with our reps and yes, say take exactly. care of them, hook 100%, it up. hundred percent. So so I'd say it it is worth your time to to befriend your your sommelier. But that I really like that advice about going to the larger producers first if you if you haven't spent much time there uh, to kind of get, cause a lot of those producers will make wines in the in many different appellations yes. and they'll have more resources yes. in order to be able to spend more time, um, to, to show you around a little bit more as opposed to a small family who they're working all the time. Exactly. Yeah. And the small family who's working all the time might have three or four different wines, but when, and that represent three or four different vineyards in in various appellations, but when you can see the whole spectrum, mm-hmm. I think you have such a large control group that you really get a sense of a vintage or a village or um, other factors in addition to the the producer itself. I'm still loving this Ganon Saint-Joseph Blanc. It is delicious. It so is this good? available in New York, by the um, way? Can uh, people get this? It is available. I know Chamber Street always has some. Okay. Uh, actually, I should know. Chamber Street does not always have some. <laughs> for example, they don't have any right now when I called them uh, for more. But they, they do. From time to time, Karen. From time to time. It is exactly. so good. It's Jordan, good. what do you have coming up uh, in the next few months? You have it? Okay, what do we have coming up in the next few months? Uh, we're working on a new Bellis project, a new uh, a, a wine that is um, a Bellis wine, but from um, from the United States. So I'm really excited about that, but I don't want to talk about it yet because um, because we're still nailing down a couple of details. But super excited about that. Um, yeah, and then I I want to say just what we're doing with Momofuku. It's a group that I love being part of because things are always evolving and they're always innovating and they're always changing. So one of the most exciting groups to be part of, and the the quality, the approachability. I'm going to be at one of these Mapesh large format dinners. I can't dinners. wait! I can't l- wait! Absolutely. How do you find out about when they're they're coming up and what's going on? Oh, you just book one. Okay. You go online to the you website. Just, you and can book it any night of the week. You can book it any night of the week. Exactly. Oh, oh, it's going down. It's, it's happening. I can't wait. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Jordan Salcido of Momofuku of Bellis and partner in Charlie Bird, which is awesome. You guys should definitely check it out. Uh, this has been In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.